I actually thought that we were going to cover some of the iPhone story today, but we're actually going to talk about Instagram. And you're going to find that the Instagram story covers a lot of the ideas that we covered this week, including the idea that all great tech companies start from a point of technological shift. I believe the biggest companies are founded when enormous technical shifts happen. And the biggest technical shift that happened right before Instagram was founded was the advent of a phone that didn't suck. The iPhone, right? Like in retrospect, we're like, oh my God, the first iPhone that almost had, like, it wasn't that good. But compared to everything else at the time, it was amazing. And by the way, the first uh, phone that had an incredible camera that could, that could like do as well as the point and shoot you might carry around was the iPhone 4. And that was right when Instagram launched. And we looked around and we said, what will change because everyone has a camera in their pocket? And it was so clear to me that the the world of social networks before it was based in the desktop and sitting there and having a link you could share, right? And that wasn't going to be the case. So the question is, what would you share if you were out and about in the world? If not only did you have a camera that fit in your pocket, but by the way, that camera had a network attached to it that allowed you to, to share instantly. Mm-hmm. That seemed revolutionary. And a bunch of people saw it at the same time. It wasn't just Instagram. There were a bunch of competitors. Um, The thing we did, I think, was not only, well, we focused on two things. So we wrote down those things. We circled photos and we said, I think we should invest in this. But then we said, what sucks about photos? One, they look like crap, right? They just, at least back then. Now, my phone takes pretty great photos, right? Um, back then they were blurry, not so great, compressed, right? Two, uh, it was really slow, like really slow to upload a photo. And I'll tell a fun story about that and explain to you why they're all the same size and square as well. (laughs) Um, and three, man, if you wanted to share a photo on different networks, you had to go to each of the individual apps and select all of them and upload individually. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, all right. Those are the pain points. We're going to focus on that. So one, instead of because they weren't beautiful, um, we were like, why don't we lean into the fact that they're not beautiful? And I remember studying in Florence. My photography teacher gave me this Holga camera, and I'm not sure everyone knows what a Holga camera is, but they're these old school plastic cameras. I think they're produced in China at the time. And they're I want to say the original ones were like from the 70s or the 80s or something. They're supposed to be like $3 cameras for the every person. They took nice medium format films, large, large uh, negatives, but they kind of blurred the, uh, the, the light and they kind of like light leaked into the side. And there was this whole resurgence where people looked at that and said, oh my God, this is a style, right? And I remember using that in Florence and just saying, well, why don't we just like lean into the fact that these photos suck and make them suck more, <laughs> but in an artistic way. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that had product market fit. People really liked that. They were willing to share their not-so-great photos if they looked not-so-great on purpose, okay? The second part. That's the where the filters come into mm-hmm. the picture. Yep. So computational modification of photos to make them look extra crappy to where it becomes art. Yeah, yeah. And cool. I mean, add light leaks, add like an overlay filter, make them more contrasty than they should be. Uh, the first filter we ever produced was called X-Pro2. And I designed it while I was in this small little bed and breakfast room in Todos Santos, Mexico. I was trying to take a break from the 
the bourbon days and I, I remember saying to my co-founder, I just need like a week to reset. And that was on that trip, worked on the first filter because I said, you know, I think I can do this. And I literally iterated one by one over the RGB values in the array that was the photo and just slightly shifted. Basically, there was a function of R, function of G, function of B that just shifted them slightly. It wasn't rocket science. Um, and it turns out that actually made your photo look pretty cool. It just mapped from one color space to another color space. It was simple, but it was really slow. I mean, if you applied a filter, I think it used to take two or three seconds to render. Only eventually would I figure out how to do it on the GPU. And I'm not even sure it was a GPU, but it was using OpenGL. But anyway, right. um, I would eventually figure that out and then it would be instant. But it used to be really slow. By the way, anyone who's watching or listening, it's amazing what you can get away with in a startup as long as the product outcome is right for the user. Like you can be slow, you can be terrible, you can be, as long as you have product market fit, people will put up with a lot. And then the question is just about compressing, uh, making it more performant over time so that they get that product market fit instantly. So fascinating because there's some things where that those three seconds would make or break the app, but some things you're saying not. It's hard to know when, you know, it's what it's the problem Spotify solved, making streaming like work. Mm-hmm. And uh, like delays in listening to music is a huge negative, mm -hmm. even like slight delays. Mm -hmm. But here you're saying, I mean, how do you know? when those three seconds are okay, or you just gonna have to <laughs> try it out. Because to me, my intuition would be those three seconds would kill the app. Like I would try to do the OpenGL thing. Right. So I wish I were that smart at the time. Um, I wasn't, I just knew how to do what I knew how to do, right? And I decided, okay, like why don't I just iterate over the values and change them? And what's interesting, is that um, compared to the alternatives, no one else used OpenGL. Right. So everyone else was doing it the dumb way. And in fact, they were doing it at a high resolution. Now comes in the small resolution that yes. we'll talk about for nice. a second. Um, by choosing 512 pixels by 512 pixels, which I believe it was at the time, we iterated over a lot fewer pixels than our competitors who were trying to do these enormous output like images. Yeah. So instead of taking 20 seconds, I mean, three seconds feels pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. So on a relative basis, we were winning like a lot. Okay. So that's answer number one. Answer number two is uh, we actually focused on latency in the right places. So we did this really wonderful thing. Um, when you uploaded. So uh, the way it would work is, you know, you'd take your phone, you'd take the photo, and then you'd go to the, um, you'd go to the edit screen where you would caption it. And on that caption screen, you'd start typing and you'd think, okay, like what's a clever caption? And, and I said to Mike, hey, when I worked on the Gmail team, you know what they did? When you typed in your username or your email address, even before you've entered in your password, like the chant probability once you enter in your username that you're going to actually sign in is extremely high. So why not just start loading your account in the background? Not, not like sending it down to the desktop, that would be a security uh, uh, issue, but like load it into memory on the server, like get it ready, mm -hmm. prepare it. 
I always thought that was so fascinating and unintuitive. And I was like, Mike, why don't we just do that? But like, we'll just upload the photo and like assume you're going to upload the photo. And if you don't, forget about it. We'll delete it, right? So what ended up happening was people would caption their uh, uh, photo. They'd press done or upload. And you'd see this little progress bar just go thoop. And it was lightning fast, okay? We were no faster than anyone else at the time, but by choosing 512 by 512 and doing it in the background, it almost guaranteed that it was done by the time you captioned. And everyone, when they used it, was like, how the hell is this thing so fast? Hmm. But we were slow. We just hid the the slowness. It wasn't like, these things are just like, it's a shell game. You're just hiding the latency. That that mattered to people like a lot. And I think that, so you were willing to put up with a, a slow filter if it meant you could share it immediately. And of course we added sharing options with le- which let you distribute it really quickly. That was the third part. Um, so latency matters, but relative to what? Mm-hmm. And then there's some like tricks you get around to just hiding the latency. Um, like, I don't know if Spotify starts downloading the next song eagerly. I'm assuming they do. There are a bunch of ideas here uh, that are not rocket science that that really help. And all of that was stuff you were explicitly having a discussion about, like yeah. th- those designs and argument. You were having like arguments, discussions. Uh, I'm not sure it was arguments. I mean, I'm not sure if you've met my co-founder Mike, but he's a pretty nice guy, <laughs> and he's very reasonable. And uh, and we both just saw eye to eye, and we we're like, yeah, it's like if you make this fast, or at least seem fast. It'll be great. I mean, honestly, I think the most contentious thing, and he would say this too initially, was um, I was on an iPhone 3G, so like the the not so fast one. Mm-hmm. And he had a brand new iPhone 4. I was cheap. Nice. Um, and his feed loaded super smoothly. Like when he would scroll from photo to photo, buttery smooth, right? But on my phone, every time you got to a new photo, it was like ka-chunk ka-chunk, allocate memory, like all this stuff, right? I was like, Mike, that's unacceptable. He's like, oh, come on, man. Just like upgrade your phone. Basically, he didn't actually say that. He's nicer than that. Um, (laughs) But I could tell he wished like I would just stop being cheap and just get a new phone. But what's funny is we actually sat there working on that little detail for a few days before launch. And that polished experience, plus the fact that uploading seemed fast for all these people who didn't have nice phones... I think meant a lot because far too often you see teams focus not on performance. They focus on what's the cool computer science problem they can solve, mm-hmm. right? Can we scale this thing to a billion users? And they've got like a hundred, right? <laughs> yeah. You talked about loss function. So I want to come back to that. The, like the loss function is like, do you provide a great, happy, magical, whatever experience for the consumer? And listen, if it happens to involve something complex and technical, then great. But it turns out, I think most of the time, th- those experiences are just sitting there waiting to be built with like not that complex solutions. Uh, but everyone is just like so stuck in their own head that they have to over-engineer everything and then they forget about the easy stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, also maybe to flip the loss function there is you're trying to minimize the number of times you, there's unpleasant experience, right? Like uh, the one you mentioned where when you go to the next photo, it freezes for a little bit. So it's it's almost, as opposed to maximizing pleasure, it's probably easier to minimize 
the number of like the friction. Yeah. And as we all know, you just, you just, uh, you just make the pleasure negative and then minimize everything. So <laughs> okay. we're mapping this all back to neural networks. But actually, can I say one thing sure. on that, which is, I don't know a lot about machine learning, but I feel like I've, I've tried studying a bunch that whole idea of reinforcement learning and planning out more than the greedy single experience, I think is, is the closest you can get to like ideal product design thinking where you're not saying, Hey, like, can we have a great experience just this one time? But like, what is the right way to onboard someone? What series of experiences correlate most with them hanging on long-term, mm-hmm. right? So not just saying, oh, did the photo load slowly a couple times or did they get a great photo at the top of their feed? But like, what are the things that are going to make this person come back over the next week, over the next month? And as a product designer asking yourself, okay, I want to optimize, not just minimize bad experiences in the short run, but like, how do I get someone to engage over the next month? And I'm not going to claim at all that I, that I thought that way at all at the time because I certainly didn't. But if I were going back and giving myself any advice, it would be thinking: what are those what are those second order effects that you can create? And it turns out having your friends on the service is an enormous win. So starting with a very small group of people that produce content that you wanted to see, which we did, we seeded the community very well. I think mm-hmm. ended up mattering, and so. Yeah, you said that community is one of the most important things. So it's from a metrics perspective, from a, maybe a philosophy perspective, building a certain kind of community within the app. See, I wasn't sure ex- what exactly you meant by that when you, when I've heard you say that. Maybe you can elaborate, but as I understand now, it can literally mean get your friends onto the app. Yeah, think of it this way. You can build an amazing restaurant or bar or whatever, right? But if you show up and you're the only one there, is it like, does it matter how good the food is? (laughs) The drinks, whatever? Um, No. Um, These are inherently social experiences that we were working on. So the idea of having people there, like you needed to have that. Otherwise, it was just to filter out. But by the way, part of the genius I'm going to say genius, even though it wasn't really genius, was starting to be marauding as a filter app was awesome. The fact that you could, so we talk about single player mode a lot, which is like, can you play the game alone? Mm -hmm. And Instagram, you could totally play alone. You could filter your photos. And a lot of people would tell me, I didn't even realize that this thing was a social network until my friend showed up. It totally worked as a single player game. And then when your friends showed up, all of a sudden it was like, oh, not only was this great alone, but now I actually have this trove of photos that people can look at and start liking, and then I can like theirs. And so it was this bootstrap method of how do you make the thing not suck when the restaurant is empty? Yeah, but the thing is, when you say friends, I mean, we're not necessarily referring to friends in the physical space. So you're not bringing your physical friends with you. You're also making new friends. So you're finding new community. So it's not immediately obvious to me that it's like, it's almost like building any kind of community. It was, it was both. And what we learned very early on was what made Instagram special. And the reason why you would sign up for it versus say, just sit on Facebook and look at your friends' photos. Of course, we were live, and of course, it was interesting to see what your friends were doing now. But the fact that you could connect with people who like 
took really beautiful photos in a certain style all around the world, whether they were travelers. It was the beginning or beginning of the influencer economy. Hmm. There's these people who became professional Instagrammers way back when, right? Um, But they took these amazing photos and some of them were photographers, right? Um, Like professionally. And all of a sudden you had this moment in the day when you could open up this app and sure, you could see what your friends were doing, but also it was like, oh my God, that's a beautiful beautiful waterfall or, oh my God, I didn't realize there was that corner of England or like really cool stuff. Um, And the beauty about Instagram early on was that it was international by default. You didn't have to speak English to use it, right? You could just look at the photos. Works great. (laughs) We did translate. We had some pretty bad translations, but we did translate the app. And, uh, you know, even if our translations were pretty poor, the, the idea that you could just connect with other people through their images was pr- pretty powerful. This story about multiplayer and internationalization, I think, also evokes to me the other big essay that I haven't had the space to cover, which is the Invisible Asymptotes essay from Eugene Wei. Highly recommended as weekend reading. <laughs> 